there was a chapter on that in her etiquette manual. Take the trouble to talk to everyone in the room. Last year, her entire corporation had undergone a weekend's training in power networking, which boiled down to the same thing, with motives bared. Work the party. You never know when someone might turn out to be useful. Was she using Podrig? Was that what it all amounted to? No more bloody ethical qualms, Sarah reminded herself. This was the only way to get what she wanted. What she needed. What she deserved. As much as the next woman, anyway. The dress was impossible. It would make her look like cracked china. She pulled the purple suit she'd travelled in back on. Now she was herself again. Cross-legged on the bed... She waited for her heartbeat to slow down. 6.20. That was okay. Podrig was only five minutes late. All she wanted was to lie down, but a nap would be fatal. There was that report on internal communication she was meant to be reading, but in this condition she wouldn't make any sense of it. She stretched for the remote and flicked through the channels. How artistic the ads were compared with back home in Seattle. Sarah paused at some sort of mad chat show hosted by a computer. Was that Irish the children were talking? How very odd. Please let him not be very late. The Irish were always bloody late. Podrig was relieved that Finbar's hotel was way down on the quays opposite Houston Station, where he was unlikely to bump into anyone he knew. He stood outside for a minute and gawked up at the glistening balconies. He remembered it when there was only a peeling facade, before that Dutch rock star and his Irish wife had bought it up. What would it cost, a night in one of those tastefully refurbished rooms? It was a shame all the yuppies had to look down on was the Liffey. The first thing he noticed when the doors slid open were the white sofas, lined up like a set of teeth. Ludicrous. They'd be black in a month. Podrig grinned to himself now to relax his jaw. Greg in marketing had this theory about all tension and pain originating in the back teeth. Podrig was the kind man who always wore his wedding ring, and it hadn't occurred to him to take it off. But as he stood at the desk and asked the receptionist whether Miss Lord had checked in yet, he thought he saw her eyes flicker to his hand. He almost gave in to a silly impulse to put it behind his back. Instead, he tugged at the neck of the Breton fisherman's jumper he had changed into after work. The receptionist had the phone pressed to her ear now. She sounded foreign, but he couldn't tell from where. What was keeping Sarah? What possible hitch could there be? Poor woman, he thought, for the twentieth time, to have to stoop to this. Podrig? He leapt. He felt his whole spine lock into a straight line. Then he turned. Moira, how are you? You look stunning. I don't think I've seen you since Granny's funeral. Didn't I hear you were in England? The words were exploding from his mouth like crumbs.
His cousin gave him a continental-style peck on the cheek. I'm only back a month. Her badge said Moira Dermot, reception manager. He jabbed a finger at it. You're doing well for yourself. If he kept talking, his cousin couldn't ask him what he was doing here. Oh, early days, she said. It all looks fabulous anyway, he said. Wheeling around and waving at the snowy couches, the bright paintings, the rows of tiny lamps hanging like daggers overhead. He edged away from the desk, where the receptionist had got Sarah on the phone at last. So how's Carmel? asked Moira. And the boys? Podrig was about to give a full report on his respectable family life when the receptionist leaned over the desk. Excuse me, Mr. Dermot, if you'd be so good as to go up now, the room is 101, and please tell Ms.